I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the Giants Flash. I'm Henry Schulman, the Giants beat reporter for the Chronicle. My guest is amateur scouting director Michael Holmes, who is preparing for his second draft with the Giants, and it's a strange one. Because of the revenue lost to the shutdown, Major League Baseball has decreed that this year's draft will last five rounds instead of the usual 40. Once all five rounds are complete, the 30 teams can then sign as many undrafted players as they choose for a relatively paltry $20,000 each. The Giants will have seven picks in the five rounds before they join the amateur free agent free-for-all. Also, with much of the high school and college baseball seasons canceled, the Giants scouts can't watch the players perform immediately ahead of the draft, which is usually an important time. So let's get to it. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how are you doing today in uh, in this shelter-in-place world? Uh, yeah, doing good, Henry. I hope you are. Um, yeah, shelter-in-place world. We're all learning to navigate it and make the best out of it and uh, all trying to do our part to uh, to uh, get this thing corrected. Yeah, and, you know, when you, when you think about sheltering in place, uh, that's about the last thing that uh, an a amateur scouting department is doing normally this time of year. I mean, I imagine that you – I mean, you have all your scouts onto the field. You have cross-checkers. You have executives even at this point so close to the draft, uh, going to college tournaments, uh, high school playoffs, and, and whatnot. So uh, with, with none of that happening because there are no games and because of shelter in place, um, how exactly uh, are all of your people deployed? Uh, yeah, you know, this is normally the time of year. We're racing cross-country from game to game. Uh, conference tournaments would have been uh, this week. Uh, at the collegiate level. So um, uh, it's certainly a change of pace for us being home and not being at ballparks or running here, there, and everywhere. But um, honestly, our, our workup has actually been um, going really well. Our guys have done an amazing job of adapting to kind of uh, uh, our 2020 norm, being at home and kind of working through Zoom calls and having conversations uh, about this year's draft prospects. Um, and we've been able to really get a lot of quality work done uh, under these uh, kind of new environment. Um, it's allowed us to get into some very in-depth conversations uh, regarding the prospects and the players for this year's draft. Uh, the thing I think um, we're all comfortable about is we felt really prepared coming into this season with the amount of work that we were able to do, um, not only last summer, but in the fall, but in the winter. Uh, whether it be at games, watching players, but spending time talking with players, uh, getting a chance to have uh, in-person meetings with players. So to be honest with you, if we'd have done this call in January, not knowing um, how this thing would have played out, I would have told you that we felt really good coming into the year. And, and because of our preparation leading into the year, it's allowed us to kind of adapt in a way where we feel like our buildup and our work has really not been affected, other than the fact we've had to do a little different. 
Yeah, I think you may have mentioned last year after you drafted Hunter uh, Hunter Bishop with the first pick that you uh, and, and some other guys had been watching him. I mean, all the way back from the time when uh, you were with the A's. And uh, so I imagine that's true with some of the better high school and college uh, prospects. I mean, you've identified these guys. You, in other words, you don't identify these guys in the last season before the draft necessarily. Now, you know, the, the, there, there usually is, uh, with some draft picks, a big improvement in that last season that goes into the conversation. Uh, I guess now you just really have to rely more on what you've seen up until uh, the 20, uh, well, the 2020 spring baseball season, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, the draft is just a culmination of a lot of years work on majority of these players that we select. Um, these are guys that, guys that our, our scouts do a tremendous job of establishing relationships with at a young age. And we get a chance to gather information year after year on each of these guys. Um, certainly the spotlight hits them uh, come spring of their draft year. Um, but these are guys we've seen quite a bit of. These are guys that we've got a lot of history on. Um, I think the only unfortunate thing uh, when you look at kind of how the season came to a screeching halt is there are some players that you don't naturally get to see their kind of uh, progression throughout a year and maybe see where they are at the end of the year as opposed to maybe the beginning. And some of these guys are on some upward trajectories um, that it's kind of nice to see the improvement that they make from start to finish. So from that aspect, we won't have really the ability to evaluate them um, in that capacity. But as far as knowing the players, having an understanding of what we think of them um, as on the field and off the field, um, it, it's definitely not just a spring process. It's something that we begin, um, you know, years in advance of the, their draft year. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I know that uh, metrics have come into play uh, in, in amateur scouting, I, particularly in the college, uh, when you have uh, so much data uh, that's being taken uh, or, or observed. Uh, does that become more of a, you know, a factor uh, when you can't actually see them play? Um, you know, it, it could possibly be, you know, you could also make the argument on the other side that the, the, the metrics that we did give are such a small sample this year. You know, when the Division One level, they only played basically uh, four weekends, so three midweeks. And uh, so you might say that's two of a small of a sample to kind of come up to any type of, um, you know, perception or judgment on a player from an analytic standpoint. Um, but I do think it's important that we kind of get back into some of the stuff they've done for a career, look for some type of indicators, look for some different things that kind of we can talk about as scouts more and um, really kind of take what we know metrically, but also what our scouts are out there seeing, apply both of them and really kind of have a nice balanced approach to our decision. Okay. I, I know that when you get closer to the draft, you often will have workouts at uh, Oracle Park. Uh, I, I'm not sure if that's mainly for local guys or whether you invite some of the better prospects in. Are, are you able to do something like that virtually? Are you able to have like workouts uh, that uh, are filmed uh, or I mean that you're doing live uh, and asking these players to um, you know, do some of the stuff that you would like them to see when, when they're in person at, at some of these showcases? Uh, yeah, so unfortunately, we would not be able to have the workout this year that we normally have at Oracle. And, um, you know, MLB is still um, pretty much controlling is the ability for, for scouting in general to be out and about. And obviously, their first, first priority in that is the safety of not only the scouts, but also of the players. 
so we fully support MLB as far as their ruling on that. Uh, but as far as uh, being able to control some sort of workout via video or Zoom call, that's not really something that we're, we're heavily involved in. You know, obviously there's video out there of players that are continuing to work out. Uh, those type of videos that we may have our hands on, we're certainly following the major league protocol um, as far as the rulings that they have said of how you can use certain things like that. But as far as us running some type of workout or asking a player to do something via video that we can, we can see, that's not something that we're doing. Okay. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the uh, introduction, uh, there are going to only be five rounds in this draft, and then, uh, then the, the teams are allowed to sign, uh, I, I suppose, as many free agents as they want in the amateur class uh, for the $20,000. Um, you have seven picks in this draft because of the, you know, pick 67 and 68, I believe, the comp picks for losing uh, Will Smith and Madison Bumgarner, in addition to the 13th overall pick. Then uh, 49, 85, 114, and 144. Uh, does having seven picks in a draft that's only going to be five rounds create some sort of a, uh, advantage or opportunity in your mind? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, listen, I'm a, I'm a scout. So, I mean, I would have wanted more than five rounds, but obviously we have five rounds and we're fortunate enough that we have seven picks. Um, we're one of two teams that have seven picks. Uh, and we have the most in, the, in this year's draft. So it certainly provides opportunity. It provides uh, uh, a bigger pool allotment than we would normally be used, had if it would have only been five picks. So it opens up opportunities to be creative. Um, it allows us to put more talent into our system um, than other teams in this year's draft just because of the sheer um, ability of, to have seven picks. So we certainly look at it as an opportunity. Um, we certainly look at it as an advantage, and uh, we're hoping that we can op optimize it the best possible. Yeah, and I mean, you've known for a couple of months uh, that there was a possibility that it would be a five-round draft with the free agency system thereafter. They pretty much installed, Manfred pretty much installed the system that they had talked about at the end of March. I mean, was it an advantage to kind of know that going in uh, as opposed to, say, uh, if he had come back and said, okay, we're going to do 10 rounds? Um, I, I don't know if it was an advantage or disadvantage. I can just tell you in all of our buildup and my conversations with Farhan and Scott, we've basically been prepared. Uh, we were prepared before even any kind of announcement came out. We were prepared for uh, either scenario. Um, and in all of our discussions, we, we didn't necessarily talk in what we thought it would be. We basically just planned out um, ready, no matter what we heard back from the commissioner's office. And then obviously we got the directive for that it was going to be a five-round draft with the passover player uh, system that they had put in place. Uh, we feel like we're prepared for what they've got in place. Yeah, uh, the, I think the thing that's going to be most fascinating is this sort of free agency uh, period after the fifth round is over. Um, I think ordinarily, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but you are normally allowed to talk to the college and amateurs ahead of the draft just to get what their, their thinking is and, and whatnot. Um, you know, how much conversation are you allowed to have right now with, with all of the draft picks? Or uh, we are. Yeah, sorry. We, we are. We're allowed to have conversation with the players. Um, that's something my staff and I have done a lot of. We've spent a lot of time on Zoom calls, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. Um, I didn't know what a Zoom call was in 2019, <laughs> and uh, I feel like I'm on multiple every day. But, um, look, it gives us a chance to, you know, get on a Zoom call, spend some time with some players, uh, spend some time with players and their families, 
these are guys that we already have relationships with, but we're continuing to try to foster these relationships, get to know the players better, stay in touch with them, uh, make sure that they know that we're still concerned about how their and their families are doing as they shelter in place. Um, and it is a chance for us to just have dialogue uh, with each player, um, not just players inside of a five-round draft, but players outside of, you know, that may be classified as potential passed over players. Um, so I think those relationships that you have, not only with drafted players, but with uh, so-called passed over players um, are very key and essential as far as um, when it comes to signing these guys. Yeah, I mean, you. Uh, I, I have a question down on my sheet uh, that, you know, Gabe Kapler was on the radio the other day, and he said that um, a, a lot of the uh, success that teams might have are, are the ones that are able to sell the organization. And um, I would imagine that the, the, the teams that have had the most contact, or not the most contact, but have built the better relationships over the years might have the better chance of getting some of the uh, free agent, the passed over players. Uh, do, do you feel that the Giants, because of the um, amount of time uh, and effort you, you've spent looking at these guys and talking to these guys over years and not months, uh, gives you a little bit of an, an advantage? Uh, sure, I'd like to think so. Um, I'd like to think that the hard work, our, our entire scouting department, and, and I'll just go out right now and say all of baseball operations. And, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that this is a team effort. Um, and, you know, you bring up Gabe and Gabe and his staff. Uh, they've been phenomenal as far as, you know, being willing to work with us, not only with the draft, but also, you know, looking at how we may attack the passed over uh, market this year. Uh, Kyle Haynes and his group in player development. Um, these guys, they, they've been fantastic, you know, working with us and getting them a chance to have a chance to see some of these players on video and give their opinions uh, since they don't have that normal crazy time of year going in their department right now. Uh, but it's really been a team effort. Um, I think relationships are important in, in all aspects of life, but in, in this exercise, they're going to be extremely important. Because listen, we all know what an amazing product it is we have to sell as far as our organization, the San Francisco Giants, the history, um, the support from ownership, the Bay Area, the community, uh, and most importantly, the fans. Um, it's an unbelievable organization to be a part of. Um, it definitely offers a lot of things that today's players uh, are looking for. So we know that we have the type of organization that's going to interest a lot of players. Um, but we want to make sure that we continue to grow those relationships uh, with each prospect, whether it's a drafted player or a passed over player, um, that those relationships are going to be important. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, as I, I should have mentioned earlier that I believe the rule is that you will not be able to sign any player until I think it's nine in the morning, the day after the, the final round, the fifth round of the draft is complete. I would imagine by that time that some of these free uh, agent amateurs will have had multiple pitches from multiple teams by then. And, um, you know, so I know you don't have to be crazy on speed dial at nine in the morning, um, but you will, like you, you kind of suggested, you will have tried to sell your organization to these players. Uh, and you mentioned uh, farm director Kyle Haynes. So are these players kind of getting a pitch um, about what their minor league experience would be like if they sign with the Giants? Do they even also talk to some of the people in the upper management, like, the, you know, like Farhan and some of his uh, deputies uh, to get a kind of a picture of what their thinking is in terms of 
the progression from this period to where they might be in the majors? Yeah, so to answer your question, the one thing a lot of players do care about and their families do care about is basically their 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 development path. So, you know, Kyle and I have had lots of conversation um, really trying to tap into um, all the resources that we have in player development that the front office and ownership have provided, the different ways and the different um, the different strategies in which we have to help guys develop uh, throughout their minor league process and allow them a path um, to get to the big leagues to help out. So um, certainly this is something that we want to provide for the players that we're having conversation with. Um, we want to allow them to kind of see through our lens the development path that they'll have and all the resources that we have for them that's going to allow them to be the best player on the field. And you know what's important to me and our organization as well is the opportunity we have to help these guys become the best people off the field as well. And that's something that's not lost on me and it's not lost on our organization that we're here to provide them and help them with opportunity to become better on and off the field. And uh, I think as we talk to a lot of these players, they see that with our organization and it certainly uh, helps us make that relationship stronger. Okay. Well, I've, uh, I've asked you a lot of questions about the new uh, kind of unusual draft we're going to hear. I just have a few more questions that, uh, you know, are specific to the Giants in this draft, and I'll get to them right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back with Giants Amateur Scouting Director Michael Holmes. Again, thank you for joining us. So this will be your second draft uh, with the Giants in, in your first draft last year. You took Hunter Bishop from Arizona State with the first pick, and uh, nine of your first ten picks were hitters. Six of them were college hitters. Um, that was an area of uh, strength what, from what you told me in the draft last year. It was also, you know, quite honestly, an area of need for the, for the Giants' uh, farm system. Can you say in general where uh, you and some of the other, uh, you know, teams kind of view the strength of this draft, be it high school, college, pitching? bats uh yeah and, and you and I talked to, I know after the draft and even in the winter listen it was no secret kind of um what what kind of our plan was in last year's draft and we thought you know position player wise especially the collegiate level was the strength of the 2019 draft and so we 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 really made that a focus um coming into 2020 um, I honestly believe, and I know we didn't get the full year to really let it play out, but I truly believe this is as well-balanced draft as there's been in a while. Um, I don't really think there's one area that's much stronger than another. Um, I think there's a lot of um, strength, not only at the high school level, but also the college level. Um, I think as many good arms as there are in this draft, I think there's equally as good amount of uh, position players. Um, uh, I don't believe that we're going to enter this draft with any type of uh, approach or game plan as far as uh, what we want to, uh, you know, create attention towards or what we want to target. 
Um, I think we just want to take an approach. We want to take the best player available. And uh, we want to line our board up in a way where we're in a position um, to take that best player available, not really considering pitcher, position player, high school, college, because I think this class is balanced enough that you can do that. And do you think, uh, you know, obviously you're not going to give up your strategy, but I mean, do you think that given the balance in the, in the class, uh, the classes, high school and college, that if you had to guess your, your five round draft or your or overall uh, draft and free agent uh, list is going to maybe reflect that balance? Is that what you expect? Um, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to really guess at this point, because I think part of being good at the draft is to being able to adapt to kind of how the draft is playing out almost in real time. So I think you can go in with a strategy, but it only takes a few things to take place to almost, uh, be willing to adapt to kind of how things play out. Um, but I'd like to say it, it, there'll probably be a really good chance. It's got a nice balanced feel to it. Um, not only with our seven picks, but probably with uh, uh, the passed over market as well. Yeah, and you know, in last year's draft, you selected Hunter Bishop uh, in the in the first with your first pick, and there are a bunch of guys, uh, you know, like him and and Logan Wyatt and and uh, you know Caleb Killian, the one pitcher you took, and you know, a, a pretty good pretty good class there, uh, especially in the in the top five to ten. Um, just as uh, is it, how difficult has it been for you? to uh, not watch the progression that you would expect uh, this time of year when uh, they would be in their first full seasons of minor league ball? Uh, extremely hard, not only just for myself, but all of our scouts. Uh, the, the two most exciting days in a year for scouts are draft day and opening day in the minor leagues because uh, we finally have box scores to follow. And, uh <laughs> You know, we, we really, we dive into those box scores. And I, I joke with a lot of the players, you guys have no idea. I can't go to sleep at night until I know what you guys have done uh, out there in the minor leagues. And uh, it's true. We, we uh, you know, we live and die by those box scores a lot in, in scouting. And, um, you know, listen, selfishly, it's been hard not to watch these guys out playing. But, um, you know, more I just feel bad for those guys because I know how ready they were. I know how I know how hard not only the 2019 class, but I know how hard our entire minor league system has worked. Um, not only this off season, but coming into this year, the guys that were already out in Arizona, um, Kyle and his staff just do an amazing job of uh, getting these guys to work and to prepare. Um, and I know that our guys, not just from last year's class, but the entire system, um, were really prepared for this year. So. It, I feel bad for them. They're not out there doing what they love to do. They're not out there doing what they've worked extremely hard to do. Um, but from a scouting standpoint, yeah, we miss following those guys playing every night. You know, I know this is definitely a question that uh, Kyle would be better suited to answer, but you have had internal discussions with him. Uh, assuming that everything goes back to quote unquote normal in 2021, uh, will will your 2019 draft class uh, uh, guys like, uh, you know, Bishop, like we've been talking about, uh, and and the others, uh, will they basically just sort of uh, be at the same point they would have been in um, at the at the start of this minor league season, or is there so, any kind of um, pressure or impetus to sort of uh, speed them along a little bit because of the uh, the lost year? Yeah, you know it, it's a great question, and you know like you said, Kyle may be a better person to ask on that, but I will say for my side of things. Um, I think you just have to take each individual on an individual basis, take each player individually. 
and just kind of see where they're at whenever we do get back on the field um, and just treat it that way. Um, you know, the worst thing you can do is try to work, rush the development process of any given player. Um, and the one thing I truly believe is each guy will tell you from his play when he's ready for the next level. Um, so I think once the guys get back together uh, and we get in some sort of uh, instructional camp or whether it be spring training next year, um, these guys will tell us whether or not they're ready uh, for whatever level there is based off of their play and how they come in ready to go. Um, and then it'll be up to Kyle to kind of, you know, take it over from there. Okay, uh, just a couple more questions. And, and this question is either going to be the best question you ever heard or the dumbest question you ever heard. But um, is there really a difference between drafting 10th and 13th in the first round? <laughs> sure there is. There's three picks left gone. Now, listen, um, yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, there certainly is from all different angles. Um, you know, you'd like to think that the higher up, the better talent you get, but you'd also – higher up you have more money to work with um, from a pool standpoint so um, ideally I wish every year we could pick last in the first round because that would mean that we're winning uh, championships at the major league level so um, I would trade 13 for 30 every year moving <laughs> forward um, but you know certainly there's a difference but we pick 13 that's our pick so we concern ourselves at 13 um, we can't control what happens in front of us uh, we'll be prepared for different scenarios depending on how things play out in front of us. And I think that's how you treat a draft room and how you treat a draft board. Uh, you line the guys up based off how you like them, but you need to be able to react depending on what plays out in front of us. Okay. Um, this is one, one question going back to the unique nature of this draft. In your conversations with some of the amateurs, have you found uh, some of the high school seniors and some of the college juniors having to think harder about whether – in the case of the high school players, whether they should go to college and in case of the college juniors, whether they should come back for a senior year. Have you, have, are, are these players kind of dealing with a tougher decision because of the thought that maybe next year um, there may be uh, more opportunity, more money involved in the draft? Um, yeah. One thing I never try to do is I never try to get inside of the, the prospect and tell them what I think they should do because that's between them and their family and their support system. That's such a personal decision. If they ask me my advice, I certainly give what I think they uh, should consider. Um, but listen, we're in, we're in a, a unique time right now um, with everything that's going on. Obviously, the college season was canceled. Um, you know, this is nothing earth shattering, but the, the economics of not only, um, you know, our country and society, but also a lot of these colleges are different. So I do think there's some questions that some of the high school prospects are asking themselves of, are they going to enter a college that's under the same type of um, situation that they thought they would have entered in, you know, call it even six months ago. Um, I do think there's some conversations going on at the high school level um, of guys wondering, maybe uh, they're considering professional baseball at a high school differently because of everything that's going on. But again, these are just more kind of hearsay situations that I get in my conversations with different people. Um, but ultimately, it's an individual decision that they'll have to make with their families. Okay. And, and the last question is uh, just about the draft room itself. I, I, I know that there's sort of a bit of an excitement when you have everybody in the same room and you can, uh, you know, uh, just sort of bounce things off each other uh, at the last minute before you make some of these selections. 
Um, you know, I, I'm assuming that you're going to be doing a virtual draft room, or are you going to be uh, actually trying to get together with uh, social distancing? And and if it's if you're not going to be together, uh, you you think it's going to be you're, you're going to miss some something that one annual rush that you guys get when you're together? Yeah, it's it's unique. And someone asked me this other day. Um, I usually never see my scouts this time of year because we're all scattered everywhere. And um, I see them every day now because we're on Zoom calls. So it, it's weird. Um, that's one of the uniquenesses of the draft room. Um, for some of us, it's like the first chance we actually see each other face to face since January. And here we go walking in a room and we know we're about to be together for, you know, eight, nine, ten straight days in a row, putting together a board and get ready for a draft. Um, in today's scenario, we're not we're not flying around everywhere. So we're on Zoom calls daily. So I actually see their faces more. Uh, you know, ideally, we'd love to be in the same room together because, you know, we, we consider ourselves family. Um, our, we've got a really great group of scouts. Um, uh, we've got tremendous chemistry and makeup in our group, and we love spending time with each other. We love talking players. We love, we love talking the game, um, and we, we pull for each other. Um, we just want what's best for this organization. So that draft room setting is definitely a unique time for us. It's a time of enjoyment. Um, it's a time of bonding, um, and it's really kind of what we work so hard to build up to. Unfortunately, we won't be able to have that setting this year. Um, we'll have all of our workup um, and all of our pre-draft meetings, many of which we've already begun. We'll continue to have those via Zoom call. Um, I hate it for our guys that we're not going to be able to do that because uh, I know how much they enjoy it. But like I said earlier, they've adapted. They understand the environment we're in. It hasn't really changed the course of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. We're just going to have to do them under a little different circumstances. Okay. Well, I can reveal to the listeners as we conclude here that you and I did this on a Zoom. And if you and I are any indication the way we look right now, it, uh, you probably, it probably will be for the best when we can just get rid of Zoom entirely and you can talk, we can talk to each other via phone. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. find my razor, I promise. Yeah. Well, listen, um, thank you so much, Michael Holmes. I wish you uh, and the organization luck as you get into the final weeks of the draft. Yeah, thanks, Henry. Thanks for all your time and uh, all you do. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Giants Flash. Coming soon, we'll have daily recaps of the simulated Interstate 5 World Series featuring all-time greats from Northern and Southern California, teams that you, the readers, pick. The Giant Splash is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Podcast producers are King Kaufman and Alan Johnson. The theme song, Batter Up, was written and performed by Lauren Gold and Ray Eastless. Support the Splash and all of our great journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.